0: For the blood.
1: why the Lord led me to um, put these two songs back to back, this thank you Jesus for the blood, story of our salvation, right? Of what Jesus Christ came to do on this earth to save each and every one of us and to take us from darkness and, and even here on earth allow us to walk in his glorious light. And this next song we're gonna sing is the goodness of God which I bet every one of you know, like the back of your hand by now. And the truth is, I think sometimes when we sing this goodness of God, we think about a lot of our material things, and that's, I don't think that's wrong. I think that that is God's favor as well. He's given us tremendous blessings, amen? But I think these songs being back to back is the goodness of God being our salvation story in our testimony in church, may we not be a people who let that leave the forefront of our minds. Amen. May we not get so lost in the distractions of the world that we forget that Jesus Christ has come to save us from our sins and to give us new life apart from our sins here on earth. He is so good. His mercy is never ending. Can we praise him together for that? Yeah, let's sing. I love you, Lord,
0: for your mercy never fails me. All my days I've been held in your hand. From the moment that I wake up until I lay my head, oh, I will sing of God. I love your voice. Answers answer's praise. He answers praise.
2: of a God who hears you and walks with you. Yeah, I love my kids, but boy, my kids sure at times are the source of many of my prayers, and this week's been no different. But I'm glad in the midst of the things that we travel and walk through, the valleys that we go through, God's already at work and He knows. We've had some interesting conversations this week with our children, young and old alike. Some are asking questions about prayer asking about God and I I like those conversations. Then sometimes they just do things. You know, as moms and dads, it just make you wonder what's going on. That's why we go to prayer. God hears us, he knows he is good. I can testify to that this morning. God is good. Takes care of us. Those that we love and we're not always understand his timing or his ways, but he's good. That's all we need to know at the end of the day. Let us pray knowing that he hears, that he answers, that he's listening, he's with us this morning. Father, what a good reminder today. This morning, Lord, as we've worshiped you, we've lifted up words of affirmation, of acknowledgement of who you are, of what it is you've given and done, words of thanksgiving, words of praise, words, Father, of acknowledgement reminder I just suspect Father there's people in this place this morning watching us on watching online Lord today that need each part of of that approach each part of that worship Lord as we brought it to you this morning we don't all come having gone through the same things we don't all come together being at the same place in our spiritual journey some Lord are just beginning just asking questions just starting to figure it out Others, God, have been walking with you for a long time. And what I've discovered in my own life, Lord, is often the questions that we have typically boil down to the same things. Lord, today, may there be no mistake of who you are, what you've done, what you've given, how much you love us. We thank you, Father, that the news of Jesus coming of going to the cross, of, of of rising from the grave, Lord, and, and the, the hope that that brings us, that the, that news is still good for us this morning. It's still good in a world that is dark and it seems to be spiraling out of control, Lord. You are still in control. So, Lord, I pray this morning we would grab hold of that which we know is true. We'd hold on tight. If We find ourselves a season of waiting. We would still find it in our spirits, Lord, to worship you. If we find ourselves hurting, sick, physically, Lord, in need of a touch, while we wait for you, God, I pray we would still worship you. If we're struggling with broken relationships, if we've wandered from you, Lord, if we're drifting, and we're just waiting for a word, waiting to hear your voice, God, I pray that we would worship you. God, in our worship, you draw close. God, you are good. We open up your word this morning. Father, have your way with us. Teach us something new. Take us deeper, further. Pray, Lord, for those that are dealing with sin that separates them from you, Lord, that you would just confront it. Make us aware. May there be no more mistakes, no more excuses, no more reasoning our way around it, Lord, but perhaps come to a place of decision. That's the greatest healing anyone has ever and will ever experience in their lives. Lord, we just surrender ourselves to you this morning. Have your way with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. it has been an interesting week in our home and our lives. I, I won't get into all of the details of that, but um, God is good. And I've heard from many this week that have been praying for us, not really even aware of what's been going on, and that's just a reminder that God is good. He puts us on the hearts of those that care and respond and interact, and I'm so appreciative of that Uh, in more ways than you know. And some of the things I would love to be able to share with you, I can't today, and it might leave you curious and wondering, and well, maybe when the time is right, we'll fill in some of the blanks, but... We we've God's added to our testimony this week, and we're thankful for it. I had a lot of chances this week to talk to and spend time with my children, and some of them are getting older, and as I meet new neighbors and friends, I get to tell them about our family and our dynamics. Uh, we have children from 5 to age 25, and there's a lot of different types of stories in between, and to share about our children, what's going on in their lives. I got to see our, one of our daughters yesterday uh, in, in the Dayton area as we were with some family. And this daughter, she's a particular uh, fan of, of Broadway musicals, and I know some of you may be as well, and she's had an opportunity to see several of them over the years, and she has some favorites, of course, if you've seen more than one, you probably do as well. Uh, there's a, a, a musical that she likes called Newsies. Uh, perhaps you've seen it, maybe you've seen the movie, uh, it's now a Disney movie, but uh, also a Broadway musical, and it's, it's loosely based upon the, the New York Newsboys, not, not the musical group, uh, but the New York City Newsboys strike of 1899. And if you know how newsies work, um, paper boys, if you will, would, would buy a bundle of papers, in the, typically in the evening. Then they would go and sell the papers for, for a penny, they were penny papers, and they would make a certain amount of profit if they sold their whole bundle. So they would be out on the streets, obviously shouting, extra, extra, read all about it sharing the good news or whatever the news might be for the day. And the the Newsies is all based upon this idea that there's, they come to this realization that they were being shorted, if you will, their stacks of papers. So they would go and sell their stack of papers, realizing there weren't as many as they thought they were buying. That led to a strike. Uh, That led to them, the newspaper organization, hiring other uh, employers called scabs. When they crossed the picket lines of the strike, that, that led to some conflict. And we see this um, battle, if you will, over news. Uh, Not just news, but how workers are being treated. We won't get into that dialogue today. But the idea about sharing news and and passing it out and and standing on the street corner, letting people know, I've got something that you need to read. I have something you need to know, something that you need to see. And while the way that we've digest our news has changed today, uh, there's still this this hawking, if you will, of, of News. Whenever we read something that is of interest to us or or kind of piques our curiosity or grabs a hold of us, we tend to want to share it, whether it be good news or bad. We want to like it. We want to share it. We want to let others to know what it is that's going on that we have found intriguing, news that resonates with us, news that moves us. We typically want to talk to other people about it. So we also become shares, if you will, of news. Sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's not so good. I think the same is true for us in the church. We're shares of news. The question before us, especially in this conversation we've been having in recent weeks about doing the God's dirty work, is, is the news we're sharing good? Or is it not so good? Is it so ho-hum? Or is it exciting? Is it news we can't wait to talk about, or is it news that's kind of lost its luster and its shine? We've been talking about anticipating the harvest and engaging in spiritual conversations, of allowing God to lead us into challenging fields. The whole purpose of the engaging, of the going, of the anticipating, is because, church, we still believe this news is good. It's good news for us. It's good news for those who are far from God, who don't yet know God. It's good news for those who are still continuing to walk with God. And our dirty conversation is about caring for those who are lost, who are away from him, caring for those who may have found God, but perhaps life is causing the drift back into the shadows. See, lost people look different depending on where you're at and where you're looking. And lost people, here's what I've discovered, tend to matter more when we still believe that the news is good. But if the good news we find in the Gospels starts to lose its luster for us inside the church, then the next thing that logically makes sense is that lost people then stop mattering. And that's a concern for us and that we need to talk about and always keep in front of us to be reminded of what it is that God has done. And we see it in Scripture several times. Lost people matter. When I was a kid... Can't tell you exactly how old I could go back and look it up, but there was a man in my state. I grew up in West Virginia, named John D. Rockefeller. Now he was of the Rockefeller family, but he was running for a political office. He's running for governor uh, particular, this particular year in West Virginia, and he had a an event, if you will, uh, in in my hometown at a drive-in theater. And remember going to drive-in theaters? I remember going to the drive-in theater for a lot of different things, never for a political event. I'm not sure why my mom took me, but she did. And I was at the age where I. Th- I felt like I was told him to do certain things on my own, you know, like go to the bathroom. And I had to go to the bathroom, and we were parked in a certain aisle, and right down at the end, there was where the bathrooms were. I says, Mom, I can go to the bathroom by myself. It's just right there. So I walked. She, let, she agreed. I walked down to the bathroom, and the one I, I was going to was, being, was occupied, so I had to move down to the next one. I moved down to the next one, and finally I found one that wasn't being used. And, but I came out of, of the bathroom. I realized what was right down the aisle now has changed. And I headed back to where I thought my mom was, only my mom wasn't there. I kept looking and I started to panic a little bit and finally someone realized that I was not where I should be. And they were willing to help me. They took my hand and they walked me up to the stage. They walked me onto the stage. I'm standing right next to John D. Rockefeller. <laughs> and I remember um, he looked over and says, uh, does this little boy belong to anyone? <laughs> well. It not long before I see my mom's hands waving in the crowd. I'd gotten lost. Too often, uh, we all have our own lost type stories. Thankfully, though, since you're here today, someone found you, <laughs> and I'm glad for that. But being lost is kind of a terrifying moment. But then when you're found, there's a sense of relief. The sense of, uh, okay, finally, I'm back with those who. For me. And I found that in Scripture there's this really beautiful story. And we often, we know the story well, but we often miss some of the implications that are underneath the surface. It's a story about a man named Nicodemus who was lost and who learns all that he needs to learn about being found during a late night conversation with Jesus. Several years ago, I was studying Nicodemus in this passage. And and it left me with this question. Whatever happened to Nicodemus? Whatever happened to this this Pharisee who met with Jesus in the middle of the night, who asked very telling questions, had a very honest conversation? We first meet him, if you will, in John chapter 3. And we know it's under the cover of darkness because Nicodemus was a Pharisee. He was one of those that was supposedly speaking out against Jesus' teachings, and Nicodemus, though, comes from a different perspective. He's a member of the Sanhedrin. Uh, it certainly would, have been looked, would not have been looked upon favorably by his peers, or contemporaries, to even have this conversation. It's a very risky dialogue that he's engaging in. We see in John chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He's got high station. He's got a really high position. He came to Jesus at night, and he said, Rabbi, We know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus then replies in verse 3, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. To which Nicodemus replies, How can a man be born when he's old? Surely he cannot enter the second time into his mother's womb to be born. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he's born of water and the Spirit flesh gives birth to flesh, the spirit gives birth to spirit. I find it curious that Nicodemus with this encounter with Jesus doesn't begin with a question, but rather begins with a statement. Look, Jesus, I know that you have to be from God, because no one else could do the things you're doing unless they were sent from him. If you read a little bit deeper, he says, we know So there's others in this line of work, these other Pharisees, or there's others in the ruling high council of the Sanhedrin that know that Jesus has to be from God. The things you're teaching are so different than what we're used to, we just can't wrap our minds around it. Jesus kind of skips right over the statement. It kind of gets right to the heart of why he's there. No one can see the kingdom. You don't understand Nicodemus because you're looking at it through the wrong lens. Until you get your perspective right, you're never going to really understand. Jesus says you have to be born again. And the word again that we see in John chapter 3 could also be translated as above. You have to be born from above. Spiritually born, not physically born to truly see what it is that God is doing. And Nicodemus is confused and has the, this pushback. Well, how in the world is that physically possible? And she says, it's not. That's the point. This is a spiritual conversation. We talked about engaging in spiritual conversation, seeing past the physical, getting to the heart of the matter. You just hear Nicodemus saying to himself, Jesus, that, that's really not why I'm here. I'm, I'm a Pharisee i'm righteous i'm a teacher of the law i'm certain i'm going to go to heaven to be with abraham i'm a jew after all that alone makes me right with god we're his chosen people we're his holy people i'm not worried about how to get to heaven and jesus is saying yes you should be but you haven't figured out what you think you've figured out and nicodemus chewed on it he took jesus words literally I think he took him literally because if he were to thought, think about it any other way, it would be contrary to the, every fiber that made him a Pharisee. Jesus was asking Nicodemus to completely turn around and look at life differently. Everything that he'd been taught, this was in conflict with. How can this be, Nicodemus asked in verse 9. You're, you're Israel's teacher, Jesus says in verse 10. Do you not understand these things? And, and, and in this conversation, we begin to see a little bit of the confusion that Jesus was creating by literally changing the paradigm, changing the conversation. In verse 11, we get to the heart of kind of what I want to speak on this morning. I tell you the truth. We speak of what we know. We testify to what we've seen. But still, you people do not accept our testimony. You see it. You see people healed. Yeah, you, you see incredible things happening, but yet you still won't accept what you're seeing. We're giving you testimony of things we've witnessed, and you still are struggling to wrap your minds around it. So in this middle-of-the-night conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus, here's this educated, high-standing Pharisee professing that he doesn't understand what it means to really walk with Jesus, and ultimately walk with God. But Jesus won't allow him to simply profess ignorance. And he doesn't allow us to profess ignorance as well. Oh, we just didn't know. We have everything that we need to know in his word. If we don't know, it's here. And there comes a point in time where we're accountable for what we don't know because we don't bother to dig enough, to go deep enough. This new birth, being born again or being born from above, the new way of thinking. It's challenging. It's stirring Nicodemus's heart. He knows this has to be of God. He just can't come to grips with what it means. And in the midst of this this evening conversation, these ideas are merging together, and Nicodemus is just having a tough time with it. Then Jesus gets to the really good news. Verse sixteen, which we know well and have been shared throughout. Uh, all of of biblical history and beyond, uh, which gives us so much hope, we read, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. If you continue reading in verses 17 and 18, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Jesus gives Nicodemus the reason that he should be hopeful. Even in the midst of his not understanding, even in the midst of his ignorance. In Jesus' words, we find hope. We find hope beyond the, the meaning of salvation, hope beyond the means of our salvation. We find hope in the motive behind our salvation. See, the Gospel of John, the writer doesn't simply tell us how God has made salvation available. But John also tells us why God made it available. Here we're exposed to the very heart of God as well as to the hearts of men. It's the hearts of men that caused me to pause today. To the good news is still good, especially for those who have stepped out of the light or stepped from the shadows. The heart of God is, is seen in the very first statement of John 3.16. For God so loved. You ever feel unloved? Feel alone? You, you, you ever desperate enough to wonder what it is that God is doing or where he's at? We can go back to John 3.16 and we can be reminded that God so loved the world. That includes you and me. He loves us profoundly, he loves us deeply, he loves us so much that he literally gave himself, he gives everything for us. But that statement about love is also a very telling one. It's one that means something for us because love is what ultimately allows us to choose. See, love is what gives us a choice. For God so loved that, yes, he sent. But because he loves us, he lets us choose. Are we going to believe or are we choosing not to believe? Love is what allows us to say no or to walk away. With each choice that we make when confronted with this reality, there's like two doors in front of us, each door leading somewhere different. One of them leads to God, and the other leads away from God. This is how it has to be for it to truly be love. You've heard others tell you that they love you. How we ultimately measure that, not in words, but by our actions, by our our choosing to, to be in relationship, to walk with, to get to know, to stay close to. Love is always a choice. And in John three sixteen, 16, we, we see that God loved us, that he sent his son for us. And if we just believe in him, we'd have eternal life. This word belief, that's a whole other conversation. It's a Greek word, pistouio. And pistouio means to literally build. You believe so in telling that you build your life around this truth. You believe in Jesus, you build your life around who he is. That's a different conversation. Let's talk about the love that God has for us. He loves us. He's given all he has for us. And now we're faced because he loves us with a choice. What we choose matters. See, anything less than or anything different than choosing God to be with God, to go through the God door, anything else waters down the foundation of the relationship. So to not have a choice completely changes the conversation. So to not have a choice minimizes the idea of even right and wrong. It, it, it waters down the whole idea of sin and separation from God. See, there is a choice that leads us to God. Embracing this idea that God loves us, has given his son for us. It's a choice we make, continue to make every day. It, it's one that's always in front of us. It's, it's one that we always need to wrestle with. It's one that God puts in front of us every morning we, we see this in first corinthians chapter 15 verses 1 through 4 where paul's writing the church in corinth it says now brothers and sisters i want to remind you of the gospel i've preached to you which you received and on which you've taken your stand by this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word i preach to you otherwise you have believed in vain for what i received i passed on to you as of first importance christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures." He was buried. He was raised on the third day. Paul's telling us uh, this good news that you've heard, this good news that you've received, you you need to take hold firmly and don't let it go. What happens when we begin to loosen our grip, let go of our faith? Some would argue that you can't do that, that once you're saved, uh, you're always covered by the blood, and I certainly uh, (coughs) understand where in scripture we might take that, but when we read it as a whole and read about Jesus' encounter with Nicodemus and we read what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, we begin to realize that, that we can, at one point in our life, have accepted the love that God has for us and we accepted the good news, but if we don't hold tightly to his word, it we'll can start to slip away. How does that happen? Church, I believe as we talk about God's dirty work, the slipping away first starts when we forget that the news is good. When, when we allow the shadows to kind of creep in on us and grab hold of us and pull us backwards away from the light, I, when we let culture and our world kind of get in the way of our walking, he, he says we're to take hold firmly of what we really believe and what we know about in God's word, but so often the world gets in the way of us digging a little bit deeper. It clouds our thinking. It distracts us. and Our grip gets loose. We begin to slip away. We find ourselves having once walked in the light. Maybe one of the light bulbs has gone out, and things are starting to get a little dim. But yet we get used to that. We we get get accustomed to it. Our our eyes adjust, if you will. and We start to live life like that, as if that's okay. Except what begins to happen is now, as we drift away, the news. Eh, sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's eh. Sometimes it's, well, I don't really know what to talk about when it comes to my faith. We forget about what it is that God has done for us, what it is he saved us from. Psalm 51, verses 12 and 13, there's a reminder that David, I think, puts in front of us, and I I so appreciate his his, his prayer in in this writing. Verses 12 and 13, he, he says, Restore to me the joy of your salvation. God, restore to me that which I've known, I've experienced, I remember it, but I need to be reminded of it again. Grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. But then he goes one step further in verse 13. And this is going to make some uncomfortable. And I understand it. I've been where you're at. See, I think dirty work really gets dirty when we start to share about this God who loves the world and when we begin to verbally express the good news that we have received and that whole idea of verbally sharing what God's done for each one of us terrifies some of you used to terrify me I understand and we would find all different kinds of ways to express what God's done us the changes made in our lives doing different things serving in different ways as long as we just didn't have to talk Lord, don't make me say it out loud. Remember the newsies? Extra, extra, read all about it. Could there be any news better than sharing what it is that God does for us through His Son, Jesus Christ? Could there be any better news than proclaiming that, hey, I know a God who loves me even in spite of who I am and has sent his son to die on the cross so that I could be forgiven of my sins and walk in relationship with him? Could there be anything better than telling the world that, that I was, was dead to my transgressions, that I was worthy of death, but Jesus paid that price for me? Is there any news better than that? Well, you're quiet today. God, help us the good news still good, church? Does it still move our hearts? Is it, are, are, are we grabbing hold, holding firm to the salvation that God has provided for us? Here's what David says in verse 13, then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Good news stops being good when we stop sharing it. It's really that simple. And, and and that can be it can be difficult and i know there's and i believe church there's people out there that need to hear the good news and, and we we just don't want to be bothered or we don't want to be inconvenienced or, or we just don't have it in ourselves to share or we don't know what to share that should concern us that should burden us We've shared these last couple of weeks, Romans chapter 10, verses 13 through 15, for everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. All you have to do is call out the name of Jesus. He answers, he responds, he lifts us up out of the waters that overwhelm us, and he saves us. How then, Paul writes, can they call on the one they've not believed in? How can they believe in the one whom they've not heard about? How can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they're sent? As is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news but then there's verse 16. But not all the Israelites accepted the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? And the truth is, some people choose the dark. The dark's become comfortable. It's known. It doesn't always require much of us. We choose the dark. And we rest there. And church, I believe there's darkness and there's shadows even within the walls of the church. Not just our church. Probably most churches. And we get comfortable. We get used to it. Our eyes adjust. And the good news becomes so-so news. Jesus even speaks to this when he's talking to Nicodemus. We jump back to John chapter 3. Verses 19 through 21, Jesus said, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that these deeds will be exposed. That's kind of the kicker, isn't it? See, we've been talking about this in our Sunday night group, where men's groups have been meeting. It, it's hard when we've been walking with God, when we've been living a life of faith for a number of years, to come to this place where we're willing to acknowledge that maybe I'm not where I should be. That I once had a story, that I once walked in the light. There was a time when I could give you a testimony. I could tell you the time when God saved me from my sins. And then as we get comfortable in that journey, Satan kind of slowly dulls the edges, if you will. Slowly dims the light. And what we find is we start to love The shadows. And to change that, though, is to let our deeds be exposed. As Jesus claims. It's one thing to let my deeds be exposed when I'm apart from God, when I'm a sinner. Here's where I think Satan keeps many churches bound. Much more difficult for those who have now seen the light to admit to everybody else that they've chosen to step back in the darkness. What will they think of me? What will my friends think if I admit that I haven't been walking in the light? What, 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 what will my pastor think? What, what will others think? If, if, I, I've been a Christian for a long time, and now if I have to admit that maybe I've fallen in love with the darkness a little bit too deeply, Jesus continues, but whoever lives by the truth comes into the light, so it may be seen plainly, that what he has done has been done through God. Church, I've been praying that God would break the shackles that hold us bound. And we, we, we pray these wonderful prayers. Oh, Holy Spirit, come and do something among us. And Lord, show up. We just want to praise and worship you. And I believe that we do. And I believe there's so many in the church that are praying for the right things, that are seeking God's moving. And when we talk about revival. When we talk about people being saved. And, then, and I think that's what God wants for us. But it's not going to happen until we in here step out of the shadows and into the light. Been talking on Sunday nights about accountability. It begins with confession and repentance. A tough place to begin. But oh, how freeing it is. You want to talk about the the jail doors flying open and the shackles coming undone and and the freedom that it brings? Satan understands how hard that is for us, he just makes us comfortable. Makes us content. Eventually, those words, comfortable and content, become complacent. And we just start to sit still. We kind of go through the motion. And church, I just pray that God is moving among us and speaking to us. And we're not afraid of conviction. We're not afraid to to address the truth that he's maybe revealing to us this morning. Because I believe he's got an incredible mission for this church, but it's based upon the fact that the good news is still good. And that God, who still loves us, offers salvation to those who would receive it. It brings me back to this question whatever happened to Nicodemus? We see Nicodemus later on in John chapter 7 he speaks a good word in Jesus' favor. Uh, Jesus' life uh, became increasingly in danger. It's our last encounter of Nicodemus in the Gospel of John where we ultimately get to see perhaps some decisions that this Pharisee has made. Uh, In John 19, Jesus finally, he's he's died on the cross uh, and he needs to be buried. Um, And he's just kind of hanging there. And, and Joseph of Arimathea goes to Pilate and asks for the body. And Nicodemus shows up. 75 pounds of, of aloe and spices and, and the, the things needed to repair a body for burial. Now, this was a pretty significant thing. because so As a crucified criminal, in the eyes of the law... Uh, the, the burial that Jesus would have been subjected to would have probably been a common grave set apart for criminals. So it'd be risky to ask for the body of a crucified criminal so that he could be given a proper burial. And for anyone to obtain such a body, permission had to be granted by the proper authorities. In this case, it was Pilate, it was Rome, it was, it was those that are in charge, and it was dangerous to ask for that permission. But we see Joseph of Arimathea go to Pilate and ask for the body of Jesus. And and here comes Nicodemus, Pilate gives his permission. They take Jesus' body. The two of them wrap it with spices, strips of linen, in accordance with Jewish burial customs. They place him in the tomb that Joseph had prepared for himself. These two influential Jewish leaders were willing to take the risk. And I think on the surface, we read between the lines, well. Maybe not many people knew. What difference does it make that Nicodemus did this? That's where we have to dig a little bit deeper to understand. See, Nicodemus considered the cost. And this action, taking the body of Jesus, would cost him everything. He had nothing to gain, earthly, from an earthly perspective, and everything to lose by coming publicly uh, bringing the the spices and helping the burial of Jesus. See, when it was too late for Nicodemus to do anything for the living Jesus, he finally found the courage to stand up for the crucified Christ. Now, there's non-biblical sources. Uh, There's actually a gospel of Nicodemus. There's other apocryphal works. and The apocrypha or apocryphal uh, they're biblical or related writings that, that are not um, accepted into the canon, or the, in the canon we call the canon of scripture. The books are here, they're part of the biblical canon. There's other biblical writings that are, exist that are out there, and they're lumped together in what we call the apocrypha or apocryphal writings, and they're not accepted in the canon of scripture because often they have questionable authorship or, or authenticity. There's just questions about it enough that we don't include them in the main story, but it doesn't mean that we discount all of what they might tell us. And what we see in some of the apocryphal works is that Nicodemus lost his position as a Pharisee. He was kicked out of the Sanhedrin. He was eventually banished from Jerusalem. Banishment would have prohibited Nicodemus from even buying food or goods from Jewish merchants. This cost Nicodemus everything. He knew the risk. He considered the cost. And he chose to step out of the shadows into the light of new birth i believe nicodemus even with his questions was born again while his risk was great nicodemus knew to stay in the shadows that cost would cost him even more while scripture doesn't tell us any more about this new follower his actions seem to indicate that he did become a believer and tradition teaches us that he would be martyred eventually for this decision and we don't know all of that to be factual there's, there's some gaps we have to fill in based on what we've seen through his actions. But Nicodemus, while we still have questions, at the end of the day, showed up when it mattered. It cost him everything. Let me go back to my lost story. When I was walked up on the stage next to the future governor of West Virginia, my mom at that time didn't even know I was missing. She just thought I was taking my time in the bathroom. She didn't even know I was lost. But it was good news to me when I was found. I'd wandered, and others helped get me home. And there's a beautiful analogy for the church. We might live life with those in, in our church that may not even know that they're lost speaks to another other part of what we do on Sunday nights. We hold each other accountable. We ask hard questions. We try to redirect if we're wandering. We grab hold of their hand and we take them back to the place where they can be found again. It's a key part of, of a healthy faith family. Do we love each other enough to lovingly correct, to point out, to help, to bring back Thankfully, someone brought me back to my mom. I wonder today if there's not some here this morning that need to be reminded that the news is still good. This is a two-part response for us today. There are some who perhaps are hearing this idea of forgiveness and salvation and of a loving God for the first time, or you've not yet made that decision to follow Christ. And this idea of good news in the midst of a life maybe that you're living that's not so good is a very uh, intriguing idea. Scripture tells us all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every one of us has fallen short of God's glory. We have been in need of a Savior. But while we were yet sinners, Christ died for our sins. He interceded for us. He went to the cross willingly to pay our debt for the thing that separates us from God. And while he went to the cross and was crucified and dead and buried, he didn't stay that way. If he stayed in the tomb, this would be a different story. But on the third day, he rose again, overcoming death, defeating death, so that we could have life, we could have an opportunity to walk with our Heavenly Father in a relationship. That church is good news. But there's also a question for those of us that have experienced the good news before. And maybe over time, over years, over situations, over circumstances, that good news has started to lose its lust. We're not shouting out extra, extra any longer. In fact, we're doing all that we can to kind of keep it quiet. We don't want others to know, or we don't want to be put in this position where we have to talk about it. And we need to, as David did in Psalm 51, pray that God would restore to us the joy of our salvation. Then we could tell those who don't yet know who Jesus is about the hope that we find in a God who loves us. See, dirty work sometimes doesn't just mean we go to the fields for others. Sometimes it means we do a little bit of work on ourselves. For us to first care about those who are lost, we've got to be reminded that good news is still good. And in my life these last several months, I've, there's been some changing that God's been doing in my heart and spirit. Personally, and if he does it to me personally, it's going to impact me pastorally. And when I interviewed with our your, your board about 18 months ago, one of the things we talked about So I'm not here to maintain. I don't, I don't want to be called to a church to maintain, and I don't think you want that either. I want to be part of a faith family that desires to reach those who are lost. But church, for us to do that, we've got to be, we'll be reminded of, of the good news that's still true for each one of us and be willing to share it, to invite others to hear it to open up our circles, to be beyond our Christian friends and let people that are lost into our lives, to allow the Holy Spirit to to use us when the time is right to share stories, testimonies of the things that God has done or is doing in our our lives at the moment. Not only then in those moments are we helping others, we're also indirectly helping ourselves, strengthening our faith, growing closer to God, constantly being reminded the love that he has for us how good our God is restore to us Lord the joy of our salvation remind us God uh, of the salvation that you have provided for us this is the verdict light has come into the world do we love darkness or do we love light just like Nicodemus we're going to get a chance to choose every day because God loves us he lets us choose and I pray today that we will choose to step out of the shadows and into the light you stand with me this morning you know what God's doing in your hearts today what he's talking with you about but I pray I praise you. Hear the Spirit. Don't dismiss it. Have a conversation. If God's revealing things in your life that maybe need to change, don't brush it off. Listen, because church outside these doors is a world that's lost. I've been privileged in the last couple of weeks to encounter lost people and and I think I always encounter lost people but now God's helped me to see them like never before and it excites me as a pastor because I have an opportunity to speak into their lives and they're seeking the light. They're seeking help. They know they're they're tired of the darkness and they, they, they know there has to be something better and they're looking. They don't yet know what they're looking for but they're looking for Jesus. If we would just be willing to let our light shine Who might God send to us? I pray for each one of you, for each one of us, that the good news is still good. Father, I thank you for loving us just the way we are. The Lord also loving us too much to let us stay that way. No matter where it is we find ourselves this morning, there's room for growth. Uh, there's room for us to draw closer, Uh, there's room, Lord, in our walk to go deeper. And I pray, Lord, we wouldn't be afraid to take that next step, to do the next right thing, to choose the next right door. Whatever it may look like in our lives, for some, maybe it's the very first time that they're contemplating or considering praying for salvation. If that would be you this morning, and this idea of good news, that a God who loves you sent his son to die for you, and for the very first time God is convicting you, you can feel it in your heart, your heart's beating faster, you want this, you want to step out of the shadows and into the light. Scripture is very clear. All we need to do is confess our sins, those things, those, those evil deeds, those things that separate us from God. Jesus, forgive me. I believe God in you. I thank you, Lord, for going to the cross for me. And I want to walk in the light. For others, as you hear that prayer this morning, perhaps you're reminded of the time that you have prayed that prayer. I was 16 years old at a church camp in West Virginia. I had prayed that prayer before, but that was the time that it got real. Lord, remind us of that moment where you stepped into our lives, where we got serious about all the shadows. Lord, we wanted that that moment to let our light shine. God, would you restore to us the joy of that moment of salvation? That, God, we wouldn't be afraid to share. Lord, we could... Our lives would show that lost people matter. You would humble us, God, as we were humbled in that moment where we prayed for forgiveness. And we were reminded of how we felt and and the relief, Lord, that we experienced when we recognized that through the blood of Jesus our sins were forgiven. And, Lord, we would hold on to that reminder because, we walk with people every day that need that forgiveness May we not be guilty of looking at people as inconveniences or people in the way or people slowing us down in traffic or in front of us in lines at the stores. We would see people as you see them. Where there's a harvest field in front of us, God, I pray that we would anticipate the harvest. That we would be willing and, and prepared to step into spiritual conversations that you might ordain for us. That God, we'd be willing to go into uncomfortable mission fields, harvest fields, God. And we'd be prepared to give an answer. For the hope that we have in you. What do we do in this moment? This could be a life-changing moment, a church-changing moment. God, have your way with us. Help us not to settle. Thank you, Father, for loving us. Forgiving your son, Jesus. And that, Lord, even after all of these years, the good news is still good. Thank you, Lord. To Jesus' name we pray today. Amen. God bless you. My prayer for you, like it or not, that God gives you a chance to share the good news this week. Look forward to hearing your stories. Dismissed.